This is the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Maureen Gorson of Austin and Bird on the California Green Chemistry Initiative. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. Maureen Gorson is a partner in Austin and Bird's Environmental and Land Development Group and focuses her practice on state law, agencies, and regulation. She is the former director of the California Department of Toxic Substances Control, where she oversaw the state agency charged with protecting the public health and the environment from toxic harm, and the former general counsel of the California Environmental Protection Agency. Ms. Gorson, it's a pleasure to have you part of this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Thank you. Oh, I'm very happy to be invited. Thank you. The topic of our discussion today is California's green chemistry rules and for the benefit of someone listening who is not in California or not familiar with them, can you explain exactly what we're talking about here? Sure. Basically, uh, in November 2008, Governor Schwarzenegger signed two laws that put into place requirements that CalEPA, the California-U.S. EPA entity, put in DTSC, which is the Department of Toxic Substances Control, put rules into place to allow for the identification and prioritization of chemicals and products that have chemicals of concern, and then to require product manufacturers to do alternative analysis of how they could have made that product safer without that ingredient of concern. And right now what's happening is the the executive agency, Department of Toxic Substances Control, is developing the regulations to implement those laws that were passed in November 2008. Having an insider's view of these regulations, uh, talk a little bit about the significance of them and how they are an improvement uh, upon current laws. Well, they're significant because uh, for basically 40 years, mostly California laws or, or even all environmental laws, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, RICRA, CERCLA, are regulating air, water, land from facilities, contamination or pollution caused by facilities located in California. And they're making sure that those facilities, when they're doing things, are not using materials that end up in the air, the water, or the land, and they're taking care of them. And so the requirements are to reduce, mitigate, you know, and control the disposal of waste products. This law is different. It applies to products sold in California. So it's a very big first step at looking at products sold in California and saying, when you sell these products, we're going to want to know that the ingredients are safe. Uh, It's an improvement over past efforts because maybe five years ago, people started to notice ingredients in products. This uh, whole thing with, you know, Thomas the Tank toy engine, the contamination that was in the Chinese drywall, the the melamine that was in the children's baby formula and uh, found in toothpaste sold in Mexico, this, this, or, you know, even these phthalates or endocrine disruptors, this whole drumbeat about things that are in our products that we haven't been paying attention to really started five to seven years ago. And our response was, as we discovered each one, would be to uh, submit a bill to ban it 
Okay, we can't have that in that product. But realize you know, what we're at is the, the, the total effects of globalization. And now we do not control the means of production. We are merely the consumers of consumer goods produced in a global supply chain that's so complex that actually the, the retailers or even the, the specifiers in the U.S. are not aware of everything in the supply chain. So there's this fundamental need to know what is that, what's in the stuff that we're consuming and how do we address the fact that there are ingredients in there that are harmful. How do we make sure we're safe and how, how do we make sure that when we throw these things out, the environment is safe? What are these new green chemistry regulations going to mean for people who reside in California? Right now, you know, there there's several steps back from the where the consumer will see the difference. But, for instance, uh, say a, a product is taken off the shelf. You know, it could be they've been taking a lot of, like, jewelry from, like, kids' jewelry. that They're finding cadmium and various metals. Metals. If they they were to take that and said to the product manufacturer, you need to tell us how to make this product safer. What consumers would see is hopefully products being sold that don't have materials that could be harmful to children. They might be able to see a label on a product, say a product is going to contain something that's harmful and it's useful for that product and it helps that product perform. The product may have a label. Eventually they are looking at creating a Facebook for chemicals so that when you are looking at a product, you can find out the ingredients of those products and the toxicity of those ingredients. And you can make comparative choices between different versions of that product to pick the greener choice. Well, it sounds like this could have quite an impact on California-based companies. Well, that's the interesting thing is what I said was this applies to products sold in California. So it's a big question in the regulations right now is what point along the supply chain is the requirement to do this analysis and to provide this data going to fall. In the first draft of the regulations, California put joint and several liability on the entire global supply chain, kind of borrowing a legal liability concept from CERCLA. Uh, one that we're very familiar with for the cleanup of properties when lots and lots of people have contributed to contamination of a single property rather than the state figure out who's responsible. Everyone's joint and several liability for 100% of it. And, you know, it starts these giant legal processes where we try to sift out who's responsible for what part. And then there's the the impact on, on the industrial sector versus the commercial sector, right? Well, again, uh, it remains to be seen how these regulations will fall. Right now, the person who makes the product available for sale in California is the person on the hook in the first draft regulations. They're the point at which California say you are responsible. But then they say, you know, they're going to be responsible for going back up the supply chain, figure out where that chemical was added, and uh, also who along the supply chain has the best information in order to do the alternative analysis on how that product could be made safer. This could have an impact on companies that just do business in California. Yeah, I think anyone who sells uh, goods in California, except for the few product types that were exempted from these regulations, which are pesticides, pharmaceuticals, certain light bulbs, and packaging for pesticides and pharmaceuticals. California is so often the bellwether for national environmental regulation. 
Do you think there could be possible national implications for the green chemistry regulations? Yeah, I do think so. Because, you know, like I said, this whole, this whole kind of awareness or consciousness raising about what's these ingredients in our products and what they may be doing to our biology or to our environment uh, started five, seven years ago. And the first manifestation of rules to do- designed to, wow, we really need to get our arms around this, was in the European Union with REACH. That was 2005, 2006. 2008, you have California doing the green chemistry rates. Now, granted, they're slightly different uh, ways of attacking the problem, but there is a bill in Congress now for TSCA reform, and TSCA is the Toxic Substances Control Act, which was enacted into law 30, 40 years ago. And while it was supposed to do what, you know, we're saying green chemistry is doing now, in its 30, 40 year history, it's only really regulated six chemicals because the the really top-heavy, burdensome uh, way that the regulations were crafted. So I know that the, the Congress is looking at Tosca from. I think there's a bill from um, Senator Lautenberg from New Jersey that's on the Hill, and I think nobody's expecting any action until next year, but there's no doubt that people are, are looking at California. I think a bigger thing is that there are always about 15, 16 other states that once California does something, they do something. Yeah, Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, New Jersey. So that's I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you've got the possible federal legislation, and how about other states following suit behind California? Once California did the green chemistry laws, then Washington did the Child Toy Safety Act. Uh, so it did offer a piece of the the puzzle. Uh, and I think a lot of people are looking at these regs to see if they can't do something similar in their state. Uh, Massachusetts actually has been a leader for the past 20, 30 years because they have the Toxic Use Reduction Institute, which I would say was the more successful, more practical, implemented uh, version of TSCA, the, the federal statute, on a state level. And uh, many states tried to copy that, but I think Massachusetts did that the best. But again, that was focused on facilities and the materials they use in facilities to make things. The difference here is this is focused on products and also the life cycle impact of the product. So if uh, you had a bottle of shampoo in Alabama and a bottle of shampoo in China, and the bottle of shampoo in Alabama was made at a factory using solar energy and the bottle of shampoo made in China was using dirty coal, all of the things being equal, the bottle of shampoo from Alabama should receive a, a greener, uh, a comparatively greener score under a life cycle based on terms analysis. And I imagine they propose regulations has its critics? Yes. The statute that was written in 2008 is very broad and open-ended and it doesn't uh, put a lot of requirements. It just says, okay, we, we want a process to identify and prioritize. We want a process to ask product manufacturers to conduct alternative analysis. And now DTSC has to make up the regulations that define what those processes look like. And you can see, I mean, if all the statute says is we want a process for these things and it's just wide open, DTSC came out with a draft last fall, like November 2009, and uh, within two weeks had to pull it off its website because it, it was just so horrifying, the process. So 
So the the version they have now, which is only 61 pages, is still, I don't think, the process that anyone likes. I don't think there's huge fans of what they've come up with in this last draft. So I would expect the next draft to change even more. You think there might be litigation down the road over all this? And, and if so, what would some of the issues be? Yeah, I think there will be uh, litigation issues. I think the, it, the, there's the... I think everybody is still, whether your industry or environmental group, is still trying to help DTSC craft a process that will work, that will identify things that we should be concerned about and will help us, whether we're consumers or retailers or product manufacturers or, or intermediate goods suppliers, help all of us in the supply chain make safer choices, right, which is what the goal of the statute is, is to kind of shine a light on this get that information out there, get some comparative tools out there. So everybody wants that. If they are not able to achieve that in regulation, I could see people suing the regulation, saying the regulation is overbroad, is outside the statutory authority. I could see people waiting until the regs become effective and they their product has been selected for treatment under these regs to say there's something wrong with it. There's a lot of controversy over the trade secret provisions about what happens to confidential business information in this process. Uh, There's a lot of concern about, well, gee, if I'm a product manufacturer and I'm doing an terms analysis and I'm saying there was a safer way to make this product, am I opening myself up to product defect lawsuits or toxic tort lawsuits? Uh, so there's a lot of concerns about where litigation might come in. But right now, because they're in the drafting stage, not the rulemaking stage, everyone is just trying to be helpful to craft a process that will bring about the kinds of positive changes the laws envisioned. And the, the draft rules were issued uh, back in June, I believe? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the latest draft that people have just recently submitted comments on. What is the next step, and then, and what will it take for uh, before final adoption? The, the draft that they put out in June is a pre-regulatory draft, meaning it's a workshop draft. It's a, here's what we're thinking about, but we're still crafting it, but we'd like your input now. The next draft, we are expecting end of August, early September. That's what the agency has promised. And that would kick off the Administrative Procedures Act rulemaking process. So that would be the start of the clock. So that draft would have a 45-day comment period with a public hearing. They would have a lot of accompanying information that's required under the Administrative Procedures Act. And then they would have one year from that date to adopt rules. So maybe something by uh, mid-2011? You know, this agency's been promising to fast-track it and have something in place by January 2011, the reason being that the governor uh, is termed out and uh, a new governor will be coming in in January. So if they are able to get some piece of this draft reg uh, enacted by January, uh, it would be the part probably that has the most consensus because they wouldn't want the next governor to immediately then go you know, suspend that reg. Any final thoughts uh, for practitioners as far as these regulations are concerned? Yeah, well, in-house counsel corporations, I think, uh, you know, it's coming. I don't know whether it's going to be here by January or whether it's going to be delayed uh, due to the election and just the very, very ambitious timetable that they've set. 
But one thing you can start doing is looking at the initial list of chemicals that they are proposing for inclusion in this process and really matching up those lists of chemicals with the list of ingredients and products your company sells and start figuring out in, inside how you can start getting information about that to get prepared for. If, if you're going to get identified, how can you switch? A lot of interesting stuff going on with these potential regulations. Uh, Ms. Gorson, appreciate you spending the, a little time to explain them to us and talk about their possible impact on this LexisNexis legal podcast. Thank you, Steve. Maureen Gorson of Austin and Bird. Thank you for listening to the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Community Podcast. Copyright 2010 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com community. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Bursler. Thanks for listening.